What makes a leader? What pulls us beyond what we thought was our best and into sustained greatness? Tune in right here with Ron Kitchens to learn how to challenge and change your best so that you can move forward into leading at your highest level. Hey everyone, I'm Shannon Allen and we are here with the 300th episode of the Always Forward Leadership Podcast with Ron Kitchens. Ron, how are you today? I am awesome. I am glad to hear that you're awesome and I know that what's contributing to your awesomeness today is this incredible panel of leaders that we have, all of whom have been involved with the podcast and have worked with you in the past. And we are just gonna celebrate and commemorate our 300 podcasts by just speaking with them and listening about what they've learned over the years and just hearing their thoughts on leadership. So um, I think we're gonna start with just going around and introducing everyone. So Carla Stones, we will start with you. Hi, everyone. It's nice to be back on the Always Forward Leadership Podcast. I'm Carla Sones. I am currently the president of Southwest Michigan First, which is a regional economic development company in Southwest Michigan, and also the president of Consultant Connect. So it's so great to be here. Awesome. And Faye Davis. Hey, everyone. I'm Faye Davis. Um, and I started at Southwest Michigan first as Ron's, Ron needed a new leadership partner. And so that's how I started as his life and energy manager. And I've since made my way um, to being kind of the, the client um, and relationship manager and communications driver um, on the consultants connect side mostly, but uh, that is part of the Southwest Michigan first organization. So I work very closely with Carla still. Awesome. We also have Tim Tarantine here with us. Yes, Shannon. Thank you, Ron. Thanks for having me. I think I was here for episode one. It's good to be back for Always Forward with uh, friends and family and community from over the years. Congratulations on episode 300. I'm happy to be on. Awesome. And we have Brad Lominick. Hey, everybody. By the way, I want, why does Ron get to have a life manager, Faye? <laughs> We so, all need a life manager. I want to, I want to, I want somebody to be my life manager. Hey, you know, we're out there. Man, yeah, I was, I, I was messing around with Outlook. I don't know what in the heck I've been doing out here. My goodness. Well, it's good to be on and I don't know what episodes I was on, but it's been a while. So any of the people who have been listening for a long time may reckon, remember my, uh, you know, my, my days on the podcast, but anytime to hang out with Ron Kitchens, I'm going to, I'm going to lean into. Awesome. Why don't you tell us a little about yourself? Well, I'm a leadership author and uh, I try to try to show up and help leaders, I guess in many ways, just do what they do. And I've been in the conference game for a long time. I have my own podcast. So I guess I, I guess, you know, maybe consider me a thought leader even though if you say you're a thought leader, you're probably not. So isn't that right, Ron? Say it this time. Yeah. Just, just admit you need a, you know, a, a, a life partner who, you know, will take care of everything and keeps you from be, do, doing dumb things. Listen, I, I mean, Carla's the president of, of the world these days. Uh, Tim's running the, you know, running the show. Ron's now in Birmingham. Faye is, uh, is life managing. <laughs> I'm not sure what I'm doing. So, and Shannon's thought hosting a leading. podcast. You're thought leading. thought leading. You really are yeah. a good thought. You are a big time thought leader. It's an accurate statement for you. Rocking your swag hat from the Passion Conference. Yes. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> yes, I'm trying to. That is awesome. So this year we are really focusing on sustained greatness, um, you know, with Ron and his leadership and on the podcast. And we're talking about what does it take to, remain great. And so I'm really excited we've assembled, you know, these all-star leaders to just discuss this and discuss remaining great and what it takes. And so, you know, I'm just going to throw some questions at you all. And I know our listeners are going to benefit tremendously from hearing what you all have to say, from hearing what Ron has to say um, about these topics. And so I kind of, in my mind, I kind of broke it down into like four areas that I'd love for us to talk about. So um, I think a great place to start is a leader defined. And so, Brad, I'm going to throw you the first question. Um, in the realm of 
leadership, coaching, and development. I know that we've all kind of heard about the difference between leaders and managers. Um, and so in your experience, what have you learned to be the difference between a manager and a leader? First of all, no pressure. Uh, I'm coming out of the gate hot. <laughs> and, and uh, you know, given the first answer, but I would say this, you know, a leader really thinks about the future mm-hmm. and where we're headed. And a manager in general thinks more about the present. Mm-hmm. And, you know, managers are really, ideally, they're thinking about what's happening right now. They're, they're you know, the tyranny of the urgent. And a leader is much more concerned about, about future, about vision, about, you know, how are we, how are we creating um, an anticipated or a desired picture mm-hmm. of the future that creates passion in people. If you really think about the definition of vision, that's that's what you know, that's what a lot of leaders would say. True vision is is creating a picture of the future. And so, those those would be you know my general perspectives. And in, in at a high level, I think that's that's the difference between leadership and management. Yeah, so you know Carla. what, Brad? We used to talk about leadership all the time on this podcast, and my definition has shifted a bit. Mm -hmm. Uh, over the years. I've learned a lot, right? And one of the things that I have learned about leadership is that it begins with leading self. That leaders first have to be fascinated with what is it that I'm doing to become who I say I am. That alignment piece really helps everything else fall in place. And I've, I've lived seasons of my life where that alignment was really tight. And I've lived times where I'm completely burnt out, overwhelmed, woe out, and the alignment is across the universe. Mm -hmm. And who I am and how I treat people and how I make decisions and the openness of my creativity all stems from am I in touch and aligned with who I say I am to everyone else. And, And I found that doing that work is not only the most rewarding, but it is in fact the most difficult work uh, of everything we do in organizations and leaders is really understanding and managing our own. And, and so at that leadership level, if you don't do that well, you can't develop good managers mm-hmm. who, who are engaging the affairs. And so I just wanted to add that piece that I think the, all of what you said is absolutely true. My ability to show up for that starts with how I lead my own self and that and that's just hugely important to me today and I've learned that through the school of the hard knocks but I got it and you can't take it that's right well and 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 again leaders if you're listening if you somebody's hearing this don't don't say I got to choose one or the other Mm -hmm. you know the 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 reality is is most of us have to lead and manage and what we can't do is get caught in being a manager and not ever leading or only leading you know, by definition and not necessarily managing. So it ha- it's, it's, a, it's sort of a constant balance of going back and forth between those two things. Um, but a lot what happens a lot of times is the point leader of an organization, they, they, they are so focused on what's happening in front of them, they forget about actually creating a sense of, here's where we're headed team. And, you know, so we, we have to do both. And you got to figure, going back to what you said, Tim, self-awareness is so so much a part of this. And if you don't, if you don't understand the way you're wired as a leader, then even under starting to understand, well, am I, do I, do I default to leadership or management, you know, based on the way I've been put together, sort of my intrinsic design. Yeah. That's really powerful. That concept of leading yourself. Um, Got to get my moleskin out, Dominic. Dropping gold. I got to get my moleskin out. Does it have your initials on it? (laughs) You know, I do definitely plan to go back and listen and jot these nuggets down too. That's so good. So Carla, if you're coaching a new leader and they're asking you, okay, what is the single most important aspect of leadership that I should be focusing on right now? What would you say? Wow. Okay. So Tim already talked about self-care and really kind of that self-awareness. So I'm going to take it in a little bit different of direction, I think, but I really feel like, and I, I feel like this last year, I, I had my own like little battleground test of leadership. And I really feel like point leaders need to be able to translate the vision, help people prioritize and remove barriers and obstacles. And sometimes those are internal. Sometimes those are external. 
Um, but I really feel like you have to take time investing in your team in order to be in touch with what the team needs and to be able to translate that vision. What I've just noticed, and I'm curious to hear what the rest of the group thinks, is that you can really feel like the team knows what the vision is. And in fact, a good percentage don't. So you have to continue to translate that vision constantly in order for everybody on the team to really know what to spend time on, what's most important, and for them to be able to go and execute greatness in their own way. I think that translation piece is so critically important for point leaders to know. And you can't do it well unless you're really well connected with your team because you won't know whether they got it or not unless you're really well connected. And that's not just with your senior level leadership, that's with multiple layers throughout your organization. Yeah, so good. Ron, you use a really cool metaphor about communication and translating vision. It's about a bucket with water. Would you share that? Yeah, and so they're all laughing because they know everybody here knows where I stole the analogy from. You know, I'm a best practices guy, but you know, it is the idea that, come on, Tarantine, you're killing me here. The, the idea is that, you know, there's this giant bucket of water but hanging above your head, but instead of water, that's communications. And like it, the more you pour in, the more that bucket expands. And as that bucket continues to expand, the more you have to pour in to keep it full. But the problem with this is it leaks too. There are holes in that bucket. And so you've got to, what everyone in the world would say is over communication, great organizations, great leaders know that's basic communications. And you've got to understand that it is, it is ever expanding and our needs as humans are expanding the bucket at levels that are not 1950s levels or 2010 levels, but we have an expectation to be communicated to in real time, instantaneously, and in levels of depth and certainty that no society has ever had um, in the history of, of the planet, but that's the norm today. And so great communicators, you cannot be a great leader today without being a great communicator. I don't believe it's possible. Yeah, that's so good. Any other thoughts on just what Carla's talking about, about communicating vision and making sure that your team is catching that vision? And can I just add to mm -hmm. the, the new reality that the younger leaders today in the interview, before they've ever even said yes to being on your team, now they're asking, well, what causes do you believe in? Yeah. You know, what, tell, tell me about the things that, that, that light you up in terms of how I can get involved in shaping the community. You're like, wait a second, we just had the first interview. Yeah. So th there's more and more of an of a expectation, I think, of the, of the new employee to say, don't wait five years until you really bring me into the, to the conversation around what we're going to do to change the world here. They want to know like day one. And that's hard for so many of us because we, it took us a lot. We maybe never got there with a lot of organizations that we were part of. Yeah, so good. Brad, but the nice thing about being in economic development is, is that we have an answer for that at the ready right away. We are yeah. working to change everybody's communities right now, but <laughs> The, the mo most of the listeners to this podcast don't have that luxury. So that is a really good thing to be thinking about as a leader, right? Like what causes does the organization support and how does it plug into the community to make it a better place? And I, th I think the average, again, the average leader thinks, when do I start sharing about the things I'm really passionate about? You know, even things that might've been taboo before, mm -hmm. whether it was politics or religion or, or, you know, the things that I care about. And I think the, again, like people are looking at their leader, CEOs, presidents, executive directors and saying, I need to know that now. I need to know that now in the, in the early stages where most of us would, we would have held that for a long time and only a few people might've known. So that, that's part of that going back to Tim's thing, you know, self-awareness, but also like transparency, a sense that people actually, they trust me because they they see me for all that I am, not just parts of me. Yeah, that's so good. So as we're talking about, you know, the definition of a true leader, Faye, I want to ask you, um, and, because this is a great opportunity, I think, to embarrass Ron a little bit. And so I'm all on board for this. 
Um, but Faye, can you describe a time or just times over working with Ron where you saw him model true leadership? Yeah, absolutely. And I think, um, unfortunately for you, Shannon, I don't have any embarrassing stories because I've got some great examples. You know, we all know that Ron harps about two very, very important things that are near and dear to his heart. And one of them is family first. And the other one that you will have that anyone that's listened to this podcast for 10 episodes or more knows that Ron has said this time and again, it is his job to get the members of his team, the job of their dreams. And if that's not with his organization, if it's somewhere else, he will do that. So um, my first example is I have two kids. I uh, was pregnant and I, I had my second uh, while I was working with Ron. Um, and and things come up as a new mom, even though my husband's stay at home dad, like things come up, he's got doctor's appointments or things to do. And uh, I think Bryn was, Ron, what was she like three months old? I'd come back two weeks from my maternity leave and we were, we were podcasting and I brought the baby to work and, you know, there was noise in the background and Ron just rolled with it. And I think that was for me, that was such a, such a mark of, he he doesn't just preach it, but he walks it. Like it is family first for his team. Um, And there's been so many instances of that instances of that, that I've witnessed. And then the other one is, um, you know, I was saying, Ron always says, it's my job to help you get the job of your dreams. And I have seen him do that literally with team members that were going to be hard to miss from our team. We are a small but mighty team. And um, I've seen him help people get uh, the job of their dreams, you know, moving up in their career um, in an impact and influence way, whether that is with a utility company. Um, we, we, he, he helped two people get jobs with the downtown development organization here. Um, we've had people leave for educational partners and he always supports that. Ron always, he writes the letter of recommendation. He makes the phone call to ensure that that application um, com- like goes to the top of the pile. So he helps with his influence to really maybe do himself a little bit of a disservice, but help people grow their careers in the, in the process. And he knows that those are bridges well worth keeping. Yeah. And what I have loved about that um, with working with Ron is it forces you to be a better leader, to be better at time management. Because if you came to work when your kid had a soccer game, he kind of wants to know why. Like he wants to know why you made that choice. And in that, it kind of makes you say, okay, how do I organize things? How do I manage my time better? How do I manage my workload better? We know sometimes it's just impossible. Sometimes it's hard to balance the two. But a lot of times, if you feel like you're constantly picking work over your family, it's because maybe you're not managing your workload at work well. And so him kind of holding you accountable and challenging you to always put family first, it really does drive you to be a better leader, you know, if you take advantage of that. So, yeah, that's been I've definitely seen that as well as the family first Shannon's um, just, just saying that because she's in Pensacola at her mom's <laughs> house right now as we're recording this. Hey, we're not at all jealous, Shannon. <laughs> Listen, my parents are like number one Ron fans. Like anytime I post anything, I share anything that Ron posts, they're all over it, commenting on it. And, you know, our family loves Ron for sure. Um, so a leader who reproduces. Um, that's kind of the next area that I want to talk about. And so you know, Tim, I always like to think that the breadcrumbs that show true leadership are the other leaders that are being raised up around you. So what is your process for kind of identifying and developing other leaders around you? Yeah, that's a good question. I I love the breadcrumbs idea. I think about it in terms of fruit, right? It's about investment in people. It's about seed planting, uh, to steal a term from economic development, gardening, right? Taking care of your own. And I, I hope, I pray that when I leave this earth, it'll be said of me that there's a group of folk who were with me who are better because of it, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And that's what I'm hoping for. And I think that if, if in my own life, I can show up with people in, in two ways, aspirational and vulnerable. That if I can speak to people in a way that lets them know I believe in their future, and I can also speak to them in a way that lets them know I'm not afraid of my past, 
right? That who you've been is not what we're focused on, it's where we're going. And that you can do so because you are, uh, you know, in my mind, a child of God and somebody worth some value. And just that humanness in a time like this where people are caught every day on Instagram and Twitter and Snapchat comparing themselves to each other's filters, people are feeling really crappy about who they are as humans and they're spreading it. It is contagious, it's spilling out. And so I don't wanna participate. I'd rather, I'd rather do something different. And so I think the way you reproduce yourself is fix the soil right. Because if it's in the roots, it's in the fruits. As, my, as this older guy, one of my former mentors, uh, Deacon Carter used to say, if it's in the roots, it's in the fruits. Yeah. And Can we so get verbal feedback, about, by the way? I need some verbal feedback here. I need some amens. Amen. Well, you, say it. you can say it. Don't Come on, man. I was trying to be quiet. I was trying to be quiet, but I got to get in there and like amen and yeah, more of I mean, that. Let's go. I'm serious that it, today there is just so much pulling at us that an authentic human being who can be a real human and speak to who somebody can be through how they behave. That to me is an exponential opportunity to grow leaders because all we need is more people out of drama and turned on toward their purpose and their talent. And you can unlock that by being fully human as a leader and also by being aspirational in my mind. That's the best soil for it to get in the root. And then you let the good Lord and life take care of the rest of it. If, if the, however the tree grows, get the ground right. Yeah. And the rest of it, you leave to the, you know, chance. That's so powerful. That's powerful. So good. Can I ask a follow-up question to Tim? Mm -hmm. uh, well, first of all, that, that, that preaches well. You preach it well. Secondly, that there's, I think, I think people are, as you said, they're starving for it. Hungry. Because, because we, don't have, we don't have a lot of models where we're seeing it. So we can actually stand out. We don't have to actually be that great to be able to actually move the needle and stand out around what you just talked about. And it's a scary world, man. We can't see people who are acting in these ways as, as, as bad people. People are afraid. And when we're afraid, we go to what's safe. And what's safe for most humans is tribes. Mm -hmm. We go further into getting away from stretching ourselves and further into protecting ourselves. And it's not safe to smile and say hello, knowing somebody might not say hello back, or they might cuss you out, depending on which piece of cloth you got on your face. Right? That's not easy to be truthful about faults, because you can get eviscerated today for that. But that's the way the world is going. And if we're going to leave, we're going to have to at least take a different avenue. We can ride by the highway on the service road, but we can't be on the road with everybody else acting crazy. Yeah. So, I, yeah, it's about choices. Really good. Does anybody else have thoughts about just coaching and developing leaders around you? The only thing that I will add is that I 100% agree with everything that Tim said. And I think as leaders, we have to understand that sometimes you'll have people in your circle that, need a different style of leader for different seasons of life. And that's okay. Like you're not going to be the best leader for every single person because they may just need a different leader for a different season. And that's, I think for some, for some leaders, that's really defeating. Like why are some people really successful, you know, under my leadership or alongside my leadership? And why are other people like critical of my leadership? And I think kind of knowing like we're all imperfect and we're going to lead with different styles and that style may not be for everyone. But as Tim said, if you're, if you're really focused on laying good soil, you're going to attract people that really do identify with your leadership style and are able to kind of grow under, you know, the, in the soil that you've kind of harvested. And so not to get too discouraged, like you're going to have, you're going to have people cross paths sometimes that you're not, that you weren't the best leader for. And that doesn't mean you did anything wrong. It means that they, maybe they needed something else at that season of their life. Yeah, I love that. Um, a lot of our listeners know I kind of have a, a faith background. And so it's the difference, I think, between Moses and Joshua. You know, Moses could only lead the Israelites to a certain place. And then his time was over. Right. And he led them during the season where they wandered around the wilderness and they went through some pretty 
rough things. And then it was Joshua's time to actually lead them in to possess the promised land. And so you might be somebody's Moses to get them to a certain point. You might be somebody's Joshua to get them past that point. Um, and it's okay that somebody says, you know what, I've reached my point where I need a Joshua. It's time for a different type of leader. Or I'm actually looking for a Moses and you're more of a Joshua. I need a different type of leader. And I love what you're saying, Carla, about not getting discouraged when people need different types of leaders in their lives. So that was really, really good. Come on, more of that, Shannon. Let's go. <laughs> we'll give you some verbal feedback. Yeah, you're preaching on me. Oh, yeah. There you go. Go on, girl. Now, now I'm getting embarrassed. So, so, Brad, how do you coach up-and-coming leaders through failure? Oh, gosh. Well, the first, the first thing is making sure they realize that I'm, I'm you know, case study A. And I think, the, I think the leader who's vulnerable and transparent and who is believable and trustworthy is, is willing to say, you know what, I fail all the time. Mm -hmm. And there's a difference between that you're, that you're failing because you're, you're shooting for something that, that is so high in its standard compared to that you're a failure and that you just constantly are, are not hitting the expectations. So the difference between somebody who, you know, I mean, take something simple like I don't show up on time, you know, and you consistently don't show up on time. Well, you're failing. You're a failure at, at time management mm -hmm. at that point. But but the idea that I'm going to I'm going to, you know, I'm going to try to crush this project. And it's so far reaching that I look around and go, man, I'm I am so scared that I'm not going to hit the expectation. If we're shooting for that and we still are batting, you know, 300. That's a, that's going to get you in the hall of fame in baseball. Yeah. So it's all perspective when it comes to how do you view failure and what does it look like for us to now think about ourselves as risk takers and innovators. Yeah. And, you know, there's a, there's a big difference between somebody who's a risk taker and is willing to, to fail at that one thing compared to my whole life just seems to be constantly that I'm losing, mm -hmm. you know, that I'm not hitting the expectations. So some of that to your question, Shannon, it depends on where somebody's coming from and where they are in their journey. Uh, but in general, like I want to coach people to say, first of all, failure is not final. Mm -hmm. And also failure, failure is not fatal. Mm -hmm. the, the number one thing I think for a lot of coaches, just to go sports, mm -hmm. nerd out on sports for a second, a lot of coaches, especially with young adults today in the college space, let's just use that that you have a whole new generation of, of athletes who are showing up on teams and one loss feels like the end of the world Yeah. compared to no one loss, you know, it, we don't want to lose, but this is a chance for us to now get better. And just that mindset shift of, Oh my gosh, my world is over now compared to, no, we don't want to lose. We want to get better after, after that loss, but let's, let's keep getting, you know, let's keep going to the finish line. So yeah, that's powerful. Ron, you know, okay. I, I think, though, to add to that, in, and so since Shannon has joined the podcast, there's not a podcast come by that we don't mention Nick Saban <laughs> and, and the University of Alabama. It's As all the listeners know, Shannon's dad was a running back at Alabama. And, you know, we every <laughs> the first game. So the first game of the season, Shannon's at my house with my family and all Lynn's crazy family are all in the basement watching the game so she can tell us how to truly appreciate Alabama football. But the one thing that is, I'm on this journey of studying greatness, what do great organizations and great leaders do? And one of the things that I've kind of determined that about Alabama and Nick Saban, it isn't that they have the best facilities, they don't, Clemson's facilities are better. It isn't that they have more money. They don't. They have lots of money, but lots of people have lots of money. To me, it's the fact that Saban takes coaches that everybody else says are failures, that are fired, in some cases humiliated, in some cases because they had a personal failure or that they had a failure of, of performance, but he brings them into his program. And he, lack of a better word, he recycles them. 
And the next thing you know, they're off leading successful programs again, but they helped take his program and bring their talent, strengths, and capacity in. And I am fascinated by that idea, particularly in a time in our culture where we have ageism that if you're over a certain age, you probably can't compete. And if you're under a certain age or if you're a color or this, you have all these ways that we're dividing people and we're canceling people and we're critical of people that we can say, you know what? I just want the best people and I'm not going to listen to what the world says. I'm gonna hire based on the character of them that I know to be true. And I want them on my team. And there's just something about that that I can't, I haven't put into words yet, but is going to be, I think, the future of great organizations. Saban's proved it in football. How can we prove it? You know, I can just look at church world and the, you know, the, the people I know and certainly folks more that Brad knows that have had crisis and now you're out. Well, these are great people leading great organizations. How do we bring those people back into high-performing organizations? And maybe they're never the point leader again, but maybe they are. And, uh, and what does that look like? And I think that's critically important that we do that. Yeah, that's good. I think it's so interesting. I can tell you. Oh, go ahead, Faye. Oh, sorry. Um, I just think it's really interesting listening from really the beginning of when, when we kicked this episode off. is just this constant thread of like, one, we're all human, and two seeing other people for their humanity. Tim touched on it where in those seasons where, you know, the person you want to be and the person you are, maybe the gap is really, really close together. You are, you are, you are there, you're, you're living exactly who you want to be. And then in times of strife, maybe that gets really far apart. That doesn't make you less of a human. Um, and it also reminds me of what John Acuff says about kind of that old school, new school leadership. Um, old school leadership is I have no flaws and uh, therefore I am the best at leading. Whereas that new school leadership is um, people won't trust me if I don't admit my flaws. And therefore I admit that I'm human. And, and you know, Nick Saban has, that, has done that with, with these coaches that he brings in that have had episodes of, of failures, of, you know, weaknesses showing. Um, and Ron, I'm going to change the word you use recycled. I like refurbished better, Yeah, but yeah. yeah. So I, I, so this thread, it's, it just keeps coming back of as leaders, we have to not only recognize that the people we lead are human and there's going to be good days, bad days. There's going to be failures. There's going to be successes, but also remembering that we are only human. And if we are only comparing ourselves with other people's highlight reels, you're never going to get to who you actually want to be. Yeah. So good. Ron, I think one area that- I think Tim had a comment on that. Oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. I was gonna be quiet, but see, you <laughs> let me go on. Uh, so here's the other thing I think up to this question about what do we do with failure, right? I think as leaders, we gotta figure out ways to provide safe landings for people. Um, there are so many ways for leaders to be attacked today and it's not because leaders haven't made mistakes or they're not real reasons to be upset. What I'm saying is, is that in order for humanity to work as it was designed, we're gonna have to be both on and off. Failure is a necessary part of growth. Nobody ever grew on flat ground. You got to climb some mountains and fall in some holes. You got to take a couple butt kickings. Mm -hmm. And in today's environment, if you can handle a cancellation and come back, mm -hmm. Lord have mercy, the strength that you gain, the strength, that, the, the ability to only care about what matters, that is a gift, mm -hmm. right? To know who your friends are, to know where you support, my God, man, it's crazy. And we don't want that process to take place. And so the leaders, I think, to Ron's point, the organizations who are going to come out of this mess on fire, light years ahead of the rest, are those who can figure out how to find some junkyard dogs and give them some safe landing. Mm -hmm. yep. Because you take a person who's been through fire and is still walking. <laughs> yep. Well, that's the difference. Yeah. That's the difference between iron ore and steel mm -hmm. is the fire. Correct. Correct. 
Yeah. Right. And I think that's the thing is fire is necessary, but we'd rather not let you have it today. And yep. that's a dangerous thing. So leaders are going to have to have to make individual choices about do I want steel in my organization or do I want brittle? And I don't remember, and I wish I had come up with it, but I don't remember. It was a speaker that I saw and Carla, we might've been together seeing it. But her thing was, what if you had to wear a t-shirt for this whole conference that was the worst thing that you had ever done in your life? Shouldn't, you know what? Let's just make it a t-shirt that's the worst thing you've done this month. Would you wear that t-shirt and feel comfortable interacting with people? And how would that change how you perceived other people if your junk was as obvious as their junk? Yeah. I think those are the things that, you know, and in high profile jobs like college football, everybody knows what that t-shirt says, but it's the person who figures out how to whitewash, not whitewash, how to wash that t-shirt and get that stain out of it that gets to thrive in the next generation. Yeah, yeah. Ron, talk about um, failing quickly, because that's something that you say that, I, that I've really learned from, is if you're going to fail, fail quickly. Um, can you elaborate on that? I probably stole that from Brad Lominick, who stole it from John Maxwell. So no you, question. Most, it all goes back to Maxwell at the end of the day. <laughs> it all goes back to John Maxwell. <laughs> so, you know, for me, um, it is about resources and not about the resources you lose failing fast is if you have great people in, I, I absolutely, I've never in my life not had enough money, not had enough time and I've not had enough great people. But if you have great people and you apply their time correctly, the money always appears. Mm. So if you spend a whole lot of time, trying to get something done, you've wasted the money, you've wasted the time, and nobody's lost from it. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, it's this idea of when you fail, treat it like graduate school, make sure everybody knows it. And here's what happened. Here's why it didn't work. Um, a lot of times, somebody will go, oh, if you have just called, I could have helped you with that. And then you can start over again. But it's no organization. You know, it used to be you could be IBM and do that. You could be GE and do and have these long drawn out processes. But GE just sold off everything because those processes don't work anymore. You've got to get in there, fail quickly, figure out what you're going to do and then go all in. So, you know, the metaphor of bullets, bullets and bombs. But you've got to do that otherwise. And, and you got to be there has to be no penalty for failure. If it's not a moral failure or a financial failure, if you didn't intentionally hurt somebody, if you didn't, and, and there's no excuse, you know, you can't shoot the guy, you can't screw somebody over next door, there's no excuse for that, you can't steal the money. Other than that, you ought to be able to fail, put it out there, the whole organization goes to graduate school, and then the next thing you know, um, you're, you're having wins that you have no right to do based on what your competitors think of you. Yeah, so good. So um, Carla, um, can you share maybe a personal story of how Ron saw and developed potential in you? All right, well, I could probably tell a lot of stories, um, but I know we, we're, we this podcast is not three hours, even though it's a three <laughs> It's, it's not a Brad Lominick podcast. No, no, Brad, it's Carrie's that are an hour and a half. It's Brad's 15 minutes in and out. Let's go. <laughs> So I'm going to, in the spirit of keeping it brief, I'm just going to share actually my first interaction with Ron, which was my job interview. Um, so at the end of this job interview, I, I listen, I was so nervous because those of you who have heard my story, I was a community health educator interviewing at an economic development company. And I didn't really understand what economic development was. So I was in with Ron in this interview, really super nervous. And at the very end, this man says to me, I bet you'd be really good at sales. <laughs> and I was terrified. I was like, oh my gosh, how did I come across in this interview? Like, I'm not good at sales. Like, I don't want to be a salesperson. I don't even know what they're doing really at this organization. I just know that people said it'd be a really great fit for me. And I look back now and, and kind of get a chuckle out of it because 
I think he saw in me like just a passion and an ability to kind of communicate that passion. And in his mind, that translated to like, you can sell a vision, you can, you could then probably sell a product like you sell yourself probably well. But at the time, I didn't see that capacity in myself. And I look at now and I think, yes, like I, I lead on the revenue generating side of a business. Like I, I am actually pretty good at sales, if you want to call it that, or casting a great vision or um, being really passionate about economic development and community. And so I, he certainly saw something in me and he did not always make it easy along the way. There were lots of times that I was like, I've grown enough. And he was like, no, you haven't. You're going to do this next. And I was like, I don't want to tell him that I can't do that. So I'm going to have to figure it out. So I think, you know, through that time, I now look at it and I'm like, gosh, I'm now leading a company. And I, I truly did not see that in like my future at all. Like I, when he said sales, I immediately turned off and was like, that's not me. I don't know how we got here. And now I look at what I do every day and I'm like, I totally get it. And he saw it like in that short of a time, like just in that probably 30 minute first interview, first time we ever met. Um, so that definitely was a powerful moment for me. Wow. Wow. That is powerful. So kind of moving forward, we're, if we can talk about a leader who dreams and talk about vision. Um, Carla, you so poignantly earlier talked about leaders casting vision. Um, Faye, you know, being a visionary, we know is part of leadership. It's a huge part of leadership. And how do you think leaders can cast vision effectively? Yeah, and I'm going to go back to something we've already talked about, but I think a really, really big piece of that is the communication piece, and it's building the excitement. It is um, following up, and it's following through with what that vision is, um, you know, maybe in the future, but as it draws closer, are you connecting the dots for the people on your team that maybe are not directly impacted uh, necessarily in that direct line, but are you connecting the dots of like, okay, you might be working on this team, but this is coming and this is how it's affecting you. And this is why it's exciting for you. Like, are you drawing those connections? And I think one really important thing, and, and Carla kind of alluded to it earlier, is when leaders cast that vision, um, you know, she was saying, no matter how many times I think that I communicate a vision, I get surprised by people not being on the same page and, and not walking in the same direction as me. And so I think a really big piece of that is bringing yourself out of that 50,000 level vision yeah. and coming down onto the level of the executors on your team and making sure that they understand, you know, like, yes, top management team keeps talking about this, 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 and it feels in the leader's head that it's been communicated, but are you also coming back down and getting that two-way feedback loop of, um, are my people understanding what I'm talking about when I say these words? Do I need to bring it down into more layman's terms? And like, how, how do you do that as a leader? How do you switch between macro level and micro level mm -hmm. of the organization? I, I don't think there's an easy answer, but it's always the communication piece. Like, how are you saying it? How often are you saying it? To who are you saying it? Are you saying it to the same people or are you bringing in fresh ears to hear it? Mm -hmm. um, and it's it, it's just that continuous bucket of communication that Ron always talks about. You just have to keep filling it and you have to make sure you're filling it with uh, different sets of ears and different teams listening in on these on these messages. Absolutely. And so hey, I think that's such a great point. And I I'm just sitting here thinking, you know, at home, I'm living in a household with two three year olds. And for anybody who's raised a three-year-old, they go through a phase of why. It doesn't matter what you ask, it, they, they ask why. And I just started thinking as you were talking, Faye, that we need to start thinking about like the why, not behind the vision, but also like what's the why that will plug everybody back into the vision. And you only get that through kind of talking about the vision with individuals and saying like, why do you think this matters? And for everybody, especially like I'm just thinking in economic development, everybody's why of, of why they get into this is so, it's so different. Mm -hmm. And so really being able to know that for each person on the team helps you better translate that vision. Um, but you have to allow people to ask the why questions and kind of be able to 
to do some soul searching of the why that is motivating them to even be engaged at all. So we have to channel our inner three-year-old. I love that thought of knowing someone's why helps you to know how to communicate the vision to them. I think that's really good. Um, So Brad, if you've ever had a time where you've had to bring someone back into alignment with the vision, maybe they knew the vision before, but then they misunderstood or they just got off track and now you're having to coach them back into alignment with the vision. What are some good practices for that? I'm still thinking about the last question. Uh, that leader, leaders are repeaters. Yes. Le- leaders, are repeaters. Mm. leaders are Absolutely repeaters. Leaders are repeaters. that, Brad. Snaps. Yes. Leaders are repeaters. Like you, you, you have to say it maybe a hundred times. Ron, what do you always I, say about politicians? Well, it's a Richard Nixon quote. Why do politicians repeat themselves? It works. Yeah. 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 By the hundredth time, somebody might say, oh my gosh, I've never heard you say that. <laughs> And you just want to punch them right in the throat. Carla has a great episode about that. Carla and I did one on the America's Jobs team. How do you react in a very diplomatic way when somebody finally sees the light after you've said it a hundred (laughs) times? And what was your answer, Carla? You'd have to listen to the episode because it was like 20 (laughs) minutes. I like it. (laughs) I mean, it was like 20 minutes. I mean, it's really hard. It's really hard when you work on something for a really, really long time and you've had quote unquote, like doubters or haters along the way. And then you finally get to the moment and then they think it's their idea. And you're like, what just happened here? But you can't in the moment say that you just have to be really gracious and say like, gosh, it is such a great idea. I'm so glad it's happening for our community. It wouldn't have been possible without all of our hard work and energy. Mm-hmm. So that's the snapshot, so but there's a lot more depth in there. It feels like an episode of Parks and Rec. Yeah. <laughs> Janet, I, to your I question. Would, oh, go I, ahead, Tim. No, I would just add that I think that this vision and, and the why piece are all t- also filters for decision making in execution. So part of getting the team aligned around the vision is giving them permission to make decisions around the vision. And so, for instance, Ryan's whole, the most powerful uh, force for change is a job was not just a repeatable vision. It also created safety and decision-making that if you had to choose between two alternatives, you ask yourself, which one creates jobs? Which one is a powerful force? And it, it creates an empowerment and a freedom and a release for people to engage their talents fully and bring that to decision-making. Cause I know, I don't have to know exactly where we're going, but I know what decision I should make. Wow. And that in itself is an accelerator of culture. It's an accelerator of leadership. And, and I would imagine the outcomes are better when people can make their own decisions and have that filter uh, 24 seven. Yeah. That's a great point. To your, to your question, Shannon, vision, I don't, you know, get our semantics mixed up on words, but let's just use vision uh, realignment. You know, the great cultures, the, the great teams, the great sports teams, the great companies, the, the, the culture and the vision and the sense of core values, people will self-select out because they look around and go, I don't. I don't, I can't be part of this. Not because I don't think we're doing great work, but I don't, I'm not as crazy as these people or I'm not as passionate as these people. So I think many times the way we realign, if somebody is out of line, out of alignment with vision is if the vision is strong enough, the, the, the vision actually realigns them or it, or it sort of self kicks them out. And that way it's not personal anymore. You know, when, when you have such a strong culture, as a leader, then you look at that person and go, yeah, this isn't going to fit, mm-hmm. right? And they go, no, this isn't going to fit. Yeah. It's not about me liking you or disliking you or right. whether, you know, whether we're friends. It's, I, I really can't get on board with the, the way we do things here. And it's okay. Mm-hmm. So uh, the realignment piece, many times, the less we have to make it personal right. as a leader, the, the better off usually that process is going to go in terms of figuring out, well, are you a right fit here? Are you, have you got other motives? And so. So good. So Tim, can you talk about your experience working with Ron as a visionary? 
Lord have mercy. How much time do we have? <laughs> I, I'm not kidding you. The guy can be defined by that word, mm -hmm. uh, you know, and one of the things I always appreciated about Ron was his ability to translate economic development. It's a funky field to understand. And I, I remember walking into his office and I, unlike Carla, was looking for a job. I was asking him for money. That's how I met him. Mm -hmm. I was pushing him to write a check for the organization I was working for at the time. And by the time, I think by the time I got through asking and by the time he got through talking, uh, he, he asked me uh, a very serious question about my career, right? And I couldn't see anything past what I was doing right there. And I, I, I remember sitting in his office and he remembers this. I, now I'm a man's man. I was a, thought I was a tough guy. I sat in his office and cried. Wow. In a money asking conversation, I'd get fired from every development department in the country for crying during an ask. <laughs> uh, but it was the vision. It was the ability to see me differently than I could see myself that opened up this whole new view of what was available and possible for me and my talent and my, my, the things I believed about and all of that, my family, the trajectory of my family. Uh, and so it wasn't this grandiose you know, plan. It was in a real moment with a real human in a very real situation. Now he's slick, he never did write that check. But I did come work. <laughs> I did come work for the organization and maybe he'll write a check this year, 2022, we won't name it, <laughs> but I will say that I'm so glad that the conversation went that way. Mm -hmm. I didn't walk out with what I wanted, but I walked out with a different view. Mm -hmm. wow. And that's an example of vision in the small things. And if you can do that well, then you already know Ryan was an innovator and that is an innovator in economic development. Yeah. We broke the mold. We went against the big boys. I probably shouldn't say that on this podcast, some of them listening, but we did. We attacked the model and changed it. Uh, and that's all vision. I'll stop there. I, I hear you saying this, Tim, about Ron. And I think everybody would agree. He's an excavator of gold. Mm -hmm. He finds the gold in you that you didn't even know you had. And he, and he excavates it. And then he, he actually like then puts it into, the, into play. So that what you said about he... He saw something in me before I saw it myself. Mm -hmm. Carla said the same thing earlier. Mm -hmm. That's so powerful. Yeah. And if, man, if you're a leader doing that, then you win. Yeah. And there's another lesson about vision. It doesn't play by the same rules. Nobody in Southwest Michigan first came, that group that came in and really accelerated, nobody came from economic development. Mm. I mean, we were creatures from the ends of the earth as wow. it related to economic <laughs> development. Wow. And yet that hodgepodge of humans had an impact. That's another piece of it. We didn't play by the traditional find a, matter of fact, I think he said it, economic development has been a science. I'm looking for artists. Mm -hmm. I'll never forget what he said. It was a whole nother idea of what the thing was. Wow. That's different. Powerful. I, I realized that. The, and and this is not supposed to be the run podcast, but. The, yeah, sure it is. Just, it is the Ron podcast. Uh, I think it's the idea that um, people don't know what to value until you help them see the value. So like I was with a group, a macho group of guys um, hunting in Mississippi and everything that that connotes, everything you think at a hunting camp on an old plantation in Mississippi, the bunch of macho guys. And one of the guys there says, you know, the coolest thing you ever did was when we did that yoga class. And that Faye, we did a yoga class at um, an economics. And this guy says, I thought that was like a religious thing. I didn't realize that I could do that. And he said, I'm doing it three days a week now. And I, if you had not exposed me to that, I would not have done that. Well, we did it because we had a resource mm -hmm. because Faye is a great yoga instructor 
And we went, hey, let's add this and see where it goes. And the next thing you know, we literally changed somebody's life. Yeah. Didn't had no idea that wasn't why we did it. We were probably doing it because we didn't have to pay a speaker for that 20 minutes. But you know, but the fact of the matter is you find an asset. And I think so many times leadership is about finding undervalued assets, undervalued people, undervalued places, undervalued things, knocking the dust off, polishing them up a little bit, and, un- and showing people the incredible value that that person or place brings that just evaded us, that we had scales on our eyes and we just never saw. Yeah. And I realize that we're really short on time. And I know Ron has an, another appointment that he's going to, but I think we do our listeners a disservice if we didn't quickly just in the next three to five minutes touch on a leader who learns. Um, so Faye, I'm going to ask you, but anyone else can jump in as well. As leaders, what are you doing right now um, to continue learning and developing in your leadership? Yeah. Um, I think, you know, we're, we're, we're recording one right now, but podcasts are huge. I have a very short drive to work. So I like to listen to the, those shorter podcasts, but something that's commute length, uh, and, and just pop it on in the morning. And by the time I get home at night, I have an episode of, you know, a little shot in the arm of leadership. Yeah. Um, I read a lot. Uh, Harvard business review is one of my favorite things just cause it's so well-researched you know, research backed and things like that. They've got great articles about leadership development and trends in industries and all of that awesome stuff. Um, but what I really love the most is that um, I get to uh, talk to a lot of people that are in leadership positions. And so my most value, valued resource of learning is talking to other leaders. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes that does mean I text Ron and I'm like, hey, what do you think about this? Can you give me advice on this? And then inevitably I get a smiley face with sunglasses back and then my phone <laughs> rings very shortly thereafter because <laughs> it's much easier to do it via phone call. But yeah. it's things like that. That's where I seek most of my 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 continued learning right now. Just I'm a mom with young kids and, um, you know, we're a small, mighty team with a lot of things to do. So that's really all I have time for. But that's what makes the most impact for me is learning other people's lessons and, and absorbing that and just acting like a sponge. Absolutely. It's really good. So Carla, back in November, you came and did um, a really awesome training with us on Gallup strengths. And so I wanted to ask this question to you, how do great leaders maximize their strengths and hopefully minimize their weaknesses? All right. Well, I, you got a, you got a Gallup strengths coach talking about strengths. So I'm, I'll make it brief, but um, listen, I firmly, firmly believe that you can't really maximize your strengths unless you know what they actually are. And, um, you also, in addition to knowing your strengths, you kind of have to know what your triggers are. So we talk about strengths and weaknesses, but you can know what they are, but if you don't know when you're triggered into like, this is amazing. And I'm kind of like in the strength zone, or, you know, what are the things that like cause you in strengths language, we would say, go to the basement of that zone. You have to know what those triggers are. And that takes a lot of self-reflection. Um, and you can't really self-reflect well without asking those of, that are around you and bringing people kind of into that circle to give you that insight. So I think once you know what they are, strengths and weaknesses, balconies and basements, or whatever you try to call them, I think once you know what they are and kind of what your triggers are, then you can do a much better job of hiring people to help support you around those strengths. For instance, like if I know that I'm really, really good at helping to cast a vision, but I'm not really good at building the database to capture the information we need, which is 100% me, then I know then like going into the database builder and trying to do that myself does not bring out the best of me as a leader. Can I do it? 100%. Is it the best thing for me to do and in the best service of my energy? No. And so that's an area that I need to align myself with a really good partner. And I found those. And it's amazing when you find partners that like complement yourself um, so well, and it causes you to not go into that basement as much. It causes you to stay more in a strength zone. It's not perfect. We're not perfect as humans, but I think that's the key. You have to be in a lot of self-reflection, you have to be constantly in a feedback loop of, 
what am I doing well? What are the areas that I need to do better? And you can't do that without the support of people around you. Yeah, this has been such an incredible conversation. Thank you all so much. Um, I think this is a really great place for us to wrap up. Ron, do you have any final thoughts or anything that you want to share before we sign off? Just gratitude for 300 episodes and you all have been part of it from day one. And I'm grateful for your friendship and um, and grateful for those who listen every day. And as I've said 300 times, we'll see you next week. Yes, have a great week. Thanks for joining us. If today's conversation has ignited greatness in you, Take your next step and visit ronkitchens.com to gain more inspiration and to connect with Ron. You can also tweet Ron at Ron Kitchens. Until next time, keep moving, always forward.